You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. This is the final week in our series entitled, Oh the Blood. And again, we'll be looking at the final verses ending Hebrews chapter 10, as I just said. And as we end this series, I want to remind us again, as we've done this often, is that the foremost goal of this series is that we would say differently and live differently the phrase, oh, the blood. And throughout this rich series of biblical texts, it's been so rich in God's word, we have learned that the blood does the following things. The blood of Jesus Christ and only the blood of Jesus Christ redeems us and sanctifies us, it purifies us, it purchases us, it cleanses us, it secures us. The blood of Christ emboldens us. And that's one of the prayers for this series right now. I'm praying that you and I, having a greater sense of the theology that cannot be taken from us if we're saved in Jesus Christ, would give us a greater level of faith, leading to a greater level of boldness, because you have been washed clean by the blood. Because the blood of Christ, ultimately, it saves us. It saves us. But here's what the blood also does as we end our series today. And this is what's so exciting. And here's the big idea for this whole message is the blood, if you're ready for this, the blood of Jesus Christ, it, it rewards us. We find a reward through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood guarantees our reward. Now this is the part, when you really think about it, it astounds me and should astound you too, because this is the power and the truth of the gospel. Did you know the gospel is not fair? It's not fair to God. How is it fair to God that in the gospel we sin and we deserve death, so then Jesus dies that we might have life? How is that fair to God? How is it fair that in the gospel we reject God, we deserve punishment, yet Jesus sheds his blood and then we are granted forgiveness? How is that fair? How is it fair in the gospel that we're the ones who are lost, we're the ones who are without hope and we deserve it as such, but then we are loved by Jesus Christ in spite of anything we have done and in the end of that, in the gospel, we receive a reward. How is that fair to God? The answer is it's not. But that's, that's how powerful and how amazing and how humbling and how God-glorifying the gospel should be and is. It's all Him, yet we in the process, by grace, through faith, we are forgiven, set apart, and even we receive a reward. Again, think of the gospel. It's truly awesome. Because in the world's terms, the people who get rewarded are the people who define their lives by outstanding behavior or achievement. We give awards to people who we deem are worthy due to what they have done. And so we bless people with outstanding behavior or achievement on their works. But in the gospel, it's completely different. Again, we deserve death because of our sin, but we are granted the best reward Ever. And I encourage you, think about the reward granted to you in Jesus Christ. Spend some time this Christmas, spend some time this life, 
to, to just sit down. And 1 Corinthians 2 says, what, what, what no eye has seen and no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's pertaining to the gospel both here, now, and what will come. But try to imagine and try to think upon that we have been granted the greatest reward ever, which is solely purchased by the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He deserves it all, yet we share in his reward. That's not fair to God, loved ones, but by faith we'll take it, amen? I mean, that's the love of Christ, and that's why we sing joy to the world. That's why it's a joyful message, because we were dead, but now we're not only alive in Christ, we will live forever, and he grants us an award that is on the same level of his son, Jesus Christ. Incredible, humbling, awesome. In the world's terms, it would go like this, though. In the world's terms, it's like, hey, man, uh, how did your job review go this year? And your friend says, oh, it was awful. Like, on a category of, like, A to F, I got F on every single level. In fact, my boss told me that my review was one of the worst reviews he's ever seen in the history of the company. He looked at me in the eyes and said, you stink. And then you say to your friend, wow, man, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. That's terrible. So I guess you got fired, eh? And your friend says, no, no, actually, instead of getting fired, I received the greatest bonus in the history of the company. And me and the CEO were on the same level. Can you imagine? And your friend's like, what? Listen, listen, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. We deserve Fs everywhere across the board. But in Jesus Christ, by him, we get the greatest reward ever handed out in the history of the world, eternal life in Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about that. That's astounding. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. Loved ones, this is why, this is why no matter what happens in life, this is why no matter what trials come, we'll see that in the text, do not give up. You have reason to live. Do not, do not believe the lies of Satan, but press on to what's ahead because it's coming, he's coming. It's gonna be sweet, all right? All because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the reward in Jesus Christ. I gotta pray, okay? I gotta pray just before we go on to finish our series. Oh God, would you bless this time now in truth? Would you bless this time by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you bless this time with encouraging us to the reality? Oh, the blood, oh, the reward of the blood of Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, our response, our attitude in what should be to the reward and the blood of Jesus Christ that has saved us and set us free. Encourage those who are struggling in despair. Give hope to those who can find it not. Strengthen those who are desperately weak. Lord, today I pray you would give eyes to see for those who have been distracted by the emptiness of this world. May this Christmas time, may we see the Savior and may we understand he lived, that he died, that he would shed his blood, that he would rise from the dead, that he would ascend to heaven, that he will return. And when he returns, he comes with a reward for those who love him and trust in him. Amazing. Lead us in this truth today that we might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Alrighty. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Oh, the blood. Oh, the reward. A better reward. Check out this text. Hebrews 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, amazing, 
Since you knew, the phrase since you knew is everything in this text. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. There it is, verse 34. There it is, verse 35. Here it is, verse 36. For you have need of endurance, amen, 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 so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive, there it is again, you may receive what is promised. Verse 37. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay the return of Christ's loved ones. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He's coming soon, but my righteous one shall live by faith. Faith sees this, faith lives this, faith knows this. But notice those without faith, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. God responds to those with faith. Those who do not believe in him, he turns away from. But verse 39 but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. Amen, church? We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. So notice this again. Throughout this series, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, the theology of the blood leading to this moment, the belief of the blood of Jesus Christ, now the behavior in the blood of Jesus Christ. Belief, true belief, must always lead to right behavior out of love for God. What's our attitude in response to the reward that we're given by the blood of Jesus Christ? Number one is this. Our attitude is it's worth suffering for. The reward in Jesus Christ, it's worth suffering for. Verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Make sure you know this, loved ones. The Bible does not keep it a secret that along with the blood of Christ comes persecution for Christ or suffering for Christ. Make sure you're not deceived in any level through the reality of what it means to follow Christ on this earth. With the blood is promised suffering. Right here in verse 32, it says, after you were enlightened, which means after you were saved, after you were converted, after you saw the light. In fact, the NIV translates enlightened as, as you, were, you received the light in that. And it says here in verse 32, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So the exhortation of the author is here as well in verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened. It's almost like he's saying this as he speaks of their suffering and their hard struggle. He's like, remember life before Christ? Remember life before you converted to Jesus Christ? And now remember life after you were saved in Jesus Christ. And this truth right here in verse 32, it reminds me of something I love to say a lot. It's life in Christ is not easier. It's just way better. But both statements are true. Listen, life in Christ is not easier. It's not easier. If people lead you to a prayer of faith in Christ, saying that all your problems will be solved, they are teaching you a gospel that is not true. The truth is we don't live for now. We live for what will be. And the reality is faith in Jesus Christ is glorious and awesome and life-changing. But it doesn't mean life is going to be easier. Charles Spurgeon said, God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without trial. He had one son without sin, but he never had a child without trial. 
And the recipients of this letter knew this firsthand. They knew that as they placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that persecution began. Now, most of these first-generation Christians that are being addressed were Jews. And as they turned to Christ, they would be rejected by family and friends. And one commentator says that often they would be thought of as dead. But right in these verses, notice this. That conversion to Christ meant struggle. After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle. And conversion to Christ meant sufferings. Notice right here in verse 33, conversion to Christ meant verbal abuse. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach. It also meant physical abuse. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, it says as well. But I want you to see here the word endured in verse 32. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. The word endured there is a strong metaphor in the original for wrestling or an athletic competition. So the point is this, how difficult the challenge was and how real the suffering was as you endure, as you wrestle through life, as you struggle to compete against the sufferings that are brought upon you in hard struggles and in sufferings. Now many of you, as you look upon verse 32 and verse 33 and you see the phrase hard struggle and sufferings, many of you relate to this. Many of you, if you were to put your life on the table this year, in the last few years, and maybe just consistently throughout, you would say, yes, it has been a hard struggle. And yes, there are sufferings and trials of all sorts of various kinds. I want you to be encouraged with this text. I want you to see here, though, that you're not alone. I want you to see that struggle and sufferings within the Christian walk is a sign really of legitimacy in many ways that you are truly in Christ because if life has has no trial and you're in Christ, I'm really afraid for you because there is no son of God, child of God, daughter of God that lives this life without trial, that lives this life without discipline. So to look at that phrase right there and to say, I'm not alone, I'm not alone. After you were enlightened, after you were converted to Christ, you endured much hard struggle and sufferings. That's why often when someone comes up to me and says, hey, Robbie, how you doing? And you know, we just, oh, good, I'm good, hey, great. You know you do that? Hey, Jake, what's up, man, how you doing? I'm great, I'm great. Are you really, are you really good? Are you really great? Now, this is where my theology kicks in. Hey, Robbie, how you doing? Now, in one sense, my theology tells me I really am good. I really am good. The reason I'm really good because, well, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I mean, I have the hope of glory within me. I'm a child of God. I will never die. I'm going to heaven. There's a place reserved for me. Nothing can be taken away from me. Jesus Christ loved me. I've been washed from my sin. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm going to glory. Someday, so soon. It is a good day. It is a good day. But my theology comes to the other side, and I also think in my mind, and I say, I'm good, but I'm also, I'm fighting. I mean, every day is a fight. Every day I live is a struggle. What kind of struggle? A struggle against sin, a struggle against myself, a struggle against Satan, a struggle against the systems of the world, a struggle to love, a struggle to not be about me, a struggle to fight the good fight of the faith for Jesus Christ, a struggle to move forward with the gospel. It's a fight, it's a fight, it's a fight. Do you relate to that at all? Do you relate to that at all? Every day is a struggle. So in one sense, how are you doing? I'm great, I'm great. I'm saved in Christ. In another sense, though, it's hard. There's a struggle each day which is supposed to be the way. Again, loved ones, you're here right now, you're struggling, you're not alone. You're not alone. Be encouraged by that. The Lord is promising you that as we seek to really go for Jesus Christ, a lot of lukewarm believers, though, they set their lives up in such a way that nothing gets hard. They want it easy upon easy upon easy. 
That is not the Christian life. That is not the genuine Christian life. But we're to endure. Remember that word endure. To wrestle. To fight against. To compete with the struggles that come our way. To not give up. To persevere. To believe by faith. And you look at these Christians that the author is writing to, you're kind of like, man, they were under some serious opposition, but they didn't fail. They didn't give up. And you're like, how? Why? Why did they not give up? The answer, I believe, is in verse 32. The answer is in the word enlightened. And again, the NIV says, after you had received the light, when someone is saved, when someone has been enlightened, it means the light of God is shone in their hearts. The moment they were saved is the moment they could see. The moment we are saved is the moment light destroys darkness. And that's why Christmas time is light time. Christmas time is joy time because we take so much joy when the light of the world came. Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. John 1, John 1 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Ephesians 1 says, when the eyes of your hearts were enlightened. Okay, ready? Here's a secret for persevering through the Christian life. It's not supposed to be a secret. But here's the power of enduring through struggle, of making it through suffering. Here is the formula, biblically speaking, of how we present ourselves in the midst of trial, in the midst of our discouragement, in the midst of great despair. We must remind ourselves of what our eyes have truly seen. And when our eyes are enlightened, what do they see? They see hope. They see riches. They see glory. They see the strength and the care and the love of God. You're like, can you give me a verse for that? Yes, I can. Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 19 on the screen for you. Notice this is the secret to the church, the Christians that are being written to you in the book of Hebrews. This is the secret to the church in Philippi. This is the secret to the church in the New Testament. This is the secret for the church in Harvest Oakville right now. If your eyes have been enlightened, this is your truth right now. And having the eyes of your hearts constituting our soul, constituting our very being, enlightened. I can see, I can see, I can see that you may know. See, hearts enlightened equals I know. Again, the truth of the mind, the truth of the mind. Renewal. I know what? What is the hope? When you can see, you know you have hope. The hope to which you've been called. God has called me. He has plucked me out of the pit of hell and redeemed me as a child. When I'm enlightened, I know the hope to which I've been called. When I'm enlightened, I have hope and I know the riches. What riches? Not earthly riches. Riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints. Notice this. When I see, I see hope. I see riches. I see inheritance. I see glory. I see reward. I see reward in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Notice how much Paul here in Ephesians 1 wants to show us it's not our strength. Because we go through life, we got nothing. We can't make it. We struggle, we got, we're so tired, we're exhausted. I can't, you can't keep doing this. You're right. You can't keep doing this and neither can I. But God can. This is the gospel. Enlightened hope, riches, inheritance, the greatness, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, who believe his great might, his power, all from, I can see. The eyes of my hearts are enlightened. Hope, riches, inheritance, inheritance, glory, reward, power, the might of God. Don't you see, don't you see, don't you see? When you do see, 
You know why you live. And that's how these Christians kept going in the midst of hard struggle and sufferings. Look at me, loved ones, look at me. That's how you keep going and I keep going. The only way we keep going in the midst of hard struggle and sufferings. You must look to the reward. You must gaze upon the Savior, Jesus Christ. And when this happens, when you see hope, riches, inheritance, reward, and the strength of God, when you see it, listen, listen, it's worth suffering for. If you don't see this, if you look at the world, you'll give up. If you look at Christ and you understand what you've been granted in him, it's worth suffering for. And right there, right there, that principle is one of the highest principles for the Christian life. Here's what you've got to ask yourself right now in this text. What are you living for? No, really. What are you living for? Because whatever you're living for will determine the strength or lack of strength within your life. Are you living for, are you living for a cushy job? Are you living for the easy life? Are you? Are you living for something? For life? You don't want life to be easier. You want the trials to go away. You just want more money in your bank account. You want more stuff that you can gather. You're just looking for the next luxury item because that will solve your problems. You want a better vacation. You want a bigger house. You want a better paying job. You want, you want less pain. You want more better physical health. Are these all the things you're living for? Things that are all here and now? All here and now? All here and now? If that's what you're living for, it's not going to go well in Christ. That's not why we're saved. Check your heart right now. Is Christmas about, again, honestly, is it about stuff? Is your heart longing in idolatry for other things? That's not what you're living for. Or at least, the Bible's trying to tell us, that's not why we live. And the more we do that, the more we subject ourselves to pain and disappointment and misery. And for some of us right now, that's the only thing we needed to hear today. What am I living for? See, the reason these Christians could endure, the reason they could stand their ground amidst the struggle and sufferings is because they saw the reward, so they said, it's worth it, it's worth it. I mean, the reward compared to that, this is nothing. I count all things as lost compared to the surpassing worth, 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 reward, inheritance, glory of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And notice this too, notice in the text, they not only found it worthy to suffer in themselves, but because their eyes were so fixed on the reward, they found it also worth it to suffer alongside others. Look at verse 33, verse 33. Sometimes exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. That's amazing. That's amazing. This is the call for true believers, not only to find suffering worth it personally, but to find suffering worth it corporately, to come along others who are suffering. We find it worth it because our eyes are so fixed upon the reward. But the only way this happens is when our eyes are truly on the prize. Loved ones, when you're looking at the reward, you say it's worth, it's worth suffering for. Number two, when you look at the reward, it's my every confidence. This is my confidence. This is what I'm living for. Again, look at verse 34 now. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Again, this is the phrase here. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Now, reading these two verses, I saw 
four powerful truths that relate to the theological understanding of our reward. And in my mind that loves alliteration, all these words just happen to start with the letter C, all right? So don't blame me for that, just the way my mind works. And so I saw four C words that unpack the truth of what it means to live for our reward. So let's start with the most important word that starts with the letter C is this. Uh, it's, it's on the screen beside me here as well. It's clarity. Notice, as it relates to our, uh, our reward, we must have clarity. Again, verse 34 says, Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So this phrase is bringing all the other applications together. All the other uh, uh, um, behaviors that this church is exhibiting are glued to this phrase, since you knew that you had a better reward. And loved ones, this is the secret to the Christian life, to the power of the Christian life. Clarity of mind leading to clarity of conviction. Since you knew, knew what? That we have a better possession that we had an, an, an abiding possession. Loved ones, this is so important. If we, if we fail to see clearly, we will not be able to live powerfully. If we fail to see clearly, we will not be able to live powerfully. I regret to inform some of you again, the reason we lack power in our lives is found right here. Because we fail to see clearly. We have not been looking to the cross. We have not been looking to the Savior. We have not been rehearsing the gospel. We have not been thinking in our reward. We've been filled with self-pity, self-pride. We've been filled with self, and our eyes go off of Christ and onto us. When our eyes go onto us, that leads to depression. But when our eyes are on Christ and we see the reward, it brings clarity, listen, and it brings conviction. Paul Tripp talked about this principle of eternal truth so well. And I've used this once before, I think, and I, I had to use it again. It's so good. Here's what Paul Tripp says. He says, because we live, often we live, as this world is all there is, we are parentally demanding and disappointed, thinking that we have been dealt a particularly difficult hand. We envy the people around us who appear to have what we don't. We find it hard to celebrate the success of others. With the assumption that this is our final destination, we constantly want more and better. See, that's, that's it right there. Because of the assumption that this is our final destination, that's, that's the error. That's the fail. That's the complete unbiblical way to live. He goes on. Because we think this is our final destination, we're never able to say, I have enough. We possess too much, eat too much, spend too much, dream too much, demand too much, complain too much, expect too much, keep score too much, we ask too much, and we are disappointed too much. Now here's the phrase that summarizes it all right here. You see, he says, you see, we don't need a better now. Listen, listen, listen. We don't need a better now. We need forever. We need our reward. We need our hope to reshape our here and now. That phrase is worth taking to the bank right there. Let me say it another way. The present does not shape our future. It's our future, our reward, that must shape our present. That's the call of the Christian life. The reality of our future in Christ must determine our present. If we let the present become everything, it's going to ruin our future. It's certainly going to ruin our present. And where does this come from? Listen, clarity. Clarity. 
Clarity is so powerful because where there isn't clarity, there's confusion. But where there is clarity, why do I live? Who am I? How should I be? What's my reality? What's my guaranteed future? That brings conviction. When you see clearly, you walk clearly, you believe clearly, you live clearly and with conviction. This is the most important first C word, clarity. And it leads to the second, which is this, compassion. Compassion. Look at verse 34 now. For you had compassion on those in prison. What a beautiful aspect of living with clarity. Clearly seeing our reward should result in compassion within community. The believers here under tremendous persecution were reaching out to fellow brothers and sisters who were imprisoned for the gospel. And they were providing for them practically with food and water and clothing. And they came alongside them because they saw clearly, therefore, as they saw clearly, they were filled with compassion. So the more we see the reward of what is, the more we live for what matters. Ready? Love. Love for God and love for others. That's why I love this church so much. I love this church at this time of year as much as ever because there are so many acts of compassion and love being distributed through this facility and through this ministry now many of these compassion acts are within programs but what i know is there are hundreds and hundreds of acts of love and compassion occurring right now especially that are unseen you kind of walk through certain rooms and even kind of you're around the people and you can just you can just pick up a fragrance of love and a a fragrance of compassion you just you you can't see it but you know it's there and you know people are subtly and humbly walking around blessing 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 hundreds of different ways again for the glory of the lord and that is so exciting and that's the way it should be and loved ones you're right here and you've been sitting in a place where you've just wanting to receive all the love but not give the love this it's not too late of course it's never too late And you can act even now before Christmas or after Christmas, whatever it is, you can choose to put yourself before the Lord and saying, if I truly see clearly, I'm going to move with compassion. It could be the smallest thing. could be a great thing. could be a big thing. could be a very generous thing. But when you're filled with clarity and love, you desire to see compassion flow through your life because that's what Christ does. Is God leading you to compassion? See, if you're focused on the world, all you want is more stuff for self. If you focus on Christ, you're like, what's the point of gathering earthly treasures where moth and rust destroy when I can gather heavenly treasures that will be with me forever? Clarity leads to compassion. leads to this. The third C I see within these verses is carefree. Carefree. Now, for some of you, this word's going to bother you. Carefree. Carefree, Robbie. I'm not carefree. I'm care-imprisoned. I'm care-in-debt. I'm care-in-bondage. I'm anxiety riddle. I'm care enslaved. Don't talk to me about carefree. Take it easy, all right? I'm just the messenger, all right? All right? And don't shoot the messenger, but, but look at what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 34, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. That's one of my favorite verses in this entire chapter. Favorite phrases. Isn't that a beautiful gospel-proclaiming phrase? Read that carefully. It's not that they just accepted the plundering of their property. Oh, I'm not happy about it, but you know, it kind of is what it is. It says they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Wow. Now this, loved ones, is a test of the heart. This is a wonderful test of where your heart and my heart really is. 
Let's do a self-exam. Here's the main question. How do you react when a physical possession of yours, and especially one that you might take great love in, is either taken from you, ruined before you, or plundered from you? How do you react when your stuff is lost and your stuff is taken? How do you react, honestly? How do you react? Do you men, when you get your new car, and you're so excited about this car and this thing you've been wanting to get for so long, and then your child comes up with their bike with their handle exposed on it and accidentally runs it right up the side of the car, putting a massive scratch all down the... Do you joyfully respond in that situation? Do you? Do I? When you go to purchase tickets for an exciting event and you can't wait to go and you show up at the door and you find out you were scammed on the internet and your tickets are worth nothing. You've been robbed essentially. Do you joyfully respond in that moment? When you come home and you find out the sections of your home and you've been away have either been weather has been destroying it or somehow you have been taken advantage of or even robbed. Do we walk into those situations and do we actually respond joyfully in light of things that have happened to us when you have a favorite item of clothing and something devastating happens to that via a spill do you joyfully respond to these situations where things that we physically can touch and love are taken from us as our response joy well You can answer that before the Lord. But here's the truth that we're seeing within this. Is the more your vision is filled with a heavenly reward, the less you care for earthly treasure. And that's just a fact. The more your vision is filled with the rewards of heaven, the less you care for earthly treasure. Aren't you like me? Aren't you like me where just deep down you just wish you could get to the point where you literally, like, legitimately care not for things of the earth? Wouldn't that be so powerful and so free? But I have seen in my life, it's happening little bit by little bit, where you used to react emotionally to certain situations, but now you see, and you realize, I had a saint say to me this week in light of certain contexts like this, and she said to me, it's only money. It's only money. There are a few people who can say that. But that's awesome. And it's true. And it's true. The more you see your reward in heaven, everything else is counted as loss. But don't miss, how are they like that? How could they joyfully respond to the plundering of their property? It's because they could see clearly. That's why. That's the secret, loved ones. That's the secret. They saw the reward. So compared to the reward, the earthly property was nothing. So they could respond in joy in response to the life in Christ and living for the gospel. Take it. In the end, it means nothing. Powerful living for Jesus Christ and not impossible for you and I. Very possible through lives that want him more than we want ourselves or want our stuff. That's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Clarity, compassion, even carefree, and fourthly this, <clears throat> confidence. Confidence. Look at verse 35. It says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great, tell me, I couldn't hear you, which has a great 
reward, yes. So don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Listen, listen. If you know that you hold within you the greatest treasure ever granted, that will never be diminished, never be taken, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 1 Peter 1.4. We don't hold a treasure that someone come up to us and steal. Hey, hey, you took my treasure. We hold something within us that can never be taken from us. Ever. Ever. So tell me, when you know you hold the greatest treasure in the history of the world, and it is yours forever and ever and ever, does that give you confidence? The answer should be yes. Yes. It gives me incredible confidence. All the things I try to hold on to the earth, so fleeting, and they leave my hand so often. But my reality in Christ is, and so the author says, do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away the confidence, which is your great reward. And if you are saved in Jesus Christ, if you have believed in him, this is your treasure and this is your truth. You have a confidence that you are to cling to, to cling to. Loved ones, this is why your confidence cannot be your intellect, your job, your success, your family. Your confidence can't be your bank account or your giftedness or your friends or your stuff. All that stuff lets you down. Your confidence must be the reward that is found only in the Savior, in the Savior. And we're going to see in just a second here, the text is going to tell us, listen, he's returning soon. He's returning soon. So please understand. Please understand, okay? The moment Jesus Christ returns, the car keys, you drop them. They don't mean anything anymore. That car you love so much, the moment he returns, drop car keys. Ladies, the moment Jesus Christ returns, you're doing your makeup, you drop it. You drop it. Makeup means nothing in light of eternity. Vanity means nothing in light of eternity. The moment Jesus Christ returns, you're holding your golf club, you're going to drop it. You're, you're simply, you're not going to, you're not going to finish the hole and, 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 and close off the plot. You're not going to do that, man. You're just going to stop and drop and be like. The moment Jesus Christ returns, your bank card see ya doesn't matter anymore it doesn't matter if you have millions or nothing the moment jesus christ returns the only thing that matters are you for him or against him do you love him or despise him so here's the thing i try to tell myself all the time since i was first got saved i was so amazed with that i don't have to live for the world anymore I was so struck when I first got saved, and I continue to be this way the whole time. I am so in awe of the fact that all the, all the lives of the world, all the pressures of the world, all the things I was taught in university, all the things going through, all the things my friends were living for, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. I was like, yes, yes, the world is a lie. It's all a sham. Who cares about that? And so my challenge to myself is, if that is true for my future, that the moment Christ returns, all those things are dropped, then why not try to live like that now. The car keys aren't inherently evil unless you worship them. The makeup isn't inherently evil unless you worship it. The golf club's not inherently evil unless you make it everything. But the reality is, the reason we don't worship these things is when we realize we see the reward and when Christ returns, they're going to have no value anyways. This is just called Wisdom. But it's amazing how few believers seem to live this stuff out. But we can, we can, we can, we can. Today's a new day. God's speaking to you. The truth that's coming in right now. The excitement of seeing the reward. But I want you to see since you knew, since you knew, since you knew. That's the power of the phrase right there. Since you knew. See, when you know, 
and everything changes. And that's what God's calling us to do again, to know the reality. It's my every confidence. And this is why, again, point number three, then we see our reward. It's my call to endure. My reward is my call to endure. Look at verse 36. For you have need of endurance. And again, that phrase is for some of you today, right now. You came to hear that verse right there. That phrase. Your life where you are, you're struggling, you're tempted to give up, and God says to you today, you have need of endurance because he loves you so much. He says, my child, I'm with you. Listen, listen. He's like, I'm coming, I'm coming. Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You see, you see, you endure because of what is promised. Verse 37, for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay and my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. The reward is coming. Christ is coming. Verse 37 is a revised quote from Habakkuk 2. And in this context, it speaks of the return of Christ, the return of the king. So that's why we need endurance. Yet a little while he will come, loved ones. A little while. The Bible's telling us this again. A day is like a thousand years of the Lord, a thousand years like a day. It hasn't been a long time for God. And it won't be a long time the moment, again, that trumpet sounds. I sat down with our family this week and we watched the nativity together. And I've just been like especially sensitive to the things of the Spirit of God in recent days and recent weeks. And um, I've been getting a lot of kind of glossy-eyed tears in, in my eyes. And just, it, just, it just feels so good and sore. I think it's because I'm tired too, but also because I'm just looking at, looking at the realities of the gospel. So we're sitting down watching the nativity. And, and I'm, just, I'm just so blessed. I'm sitting there, you know, and the whole family's on the couch. And, and the parts where Christ is born. And like Mary and Joseph... They, they know, and just the struggle it was for them to move by faith and to be at this place where everyone else is understanding and looking at them. But he's born, and, and Joseph holds up the Christ child, and he knows, he knows he's holding up God. It, just, it never gets old to me or stale. And Mary just ponders and wonders and awe, and then the shepherds come, these lowly shepherds, and they know they're looking at the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the eternal Son of God who is now chosen to become flesh like man, and the Magi show up, and they're offering gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and just in wonder, and then just the, the, the music on the and the, and the movie helps too. It just stirs my heart and stuff like that, you know. But, but, but you're there and you're watching. Like, it's God. He came. He came. God came. And it, tears just start, you know, strolling down my cheeks. And just and so feel love and awe and wonder of, of my Savior. And I don't know what my kids think. They don't really quite say such to me. They're kind of like, you know, kind of like that looking at Dad. I don't know what they think. They just kind of think, oh, that's so weird, whatever. You know, but you're there. And then I think he came once. He's coming again. He came once. And then he ascended, as my wife said to our kids, listen, listen, kids, understand. He came once as a humble servant child, king, but he will return as a conquering king. He came once, he's going to come again, and it's going to come soon. What are we living for? That's why we endure. This is why we endure. This is why we don't give up. There's too much to live for. You're tempted to, 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 to give up. Don't. God says, no, no, my child, endure. Yet a little while the coming one will come will not delay. He will not delay. When you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. And notice, and notice in verse 38, how do we do this? By faith. 
By believing, especially when we cannot see physically, we must see spiritually. Why do we endure our reward? How do we endure by faith? And whom do we endure? Christ, loved ones, do not give up. Listen, listen, as F.B. Meyer said, do not miss the harvest of your tears. Do not miss the harvest of your tears. Do not give up in despair. Press on by faith. And you will see the harvest of your tears. And what I love about this, and this is so true, any moment now, Jesus Christ will return. And every single one of us who are genuinely saved in Jesus Christ, in some way this will happen, Jesus Christ will address you personally. He will look at you. He will smile at you. His arms will embrace you. He will hug you. He will love you. Listen, he will perfect you. Every single child here today saved in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Savior of the world, the Lord of the universe, fully God and fully man, in the form of a man still with scars seen. Listen, he will come up to you And he will personally greet you. He will personally embrace you. He will personally love you. Just think about that. Just think about that. The Son of God, my Savior, is embracing me. And that's going to happen. That's going to happen. It's one of these things that the enemy tries to say, well, I mean, maybe it won't happen. And and is it really going to be like that? You shut up, Satan. Like, literally. You shut up, because it is going to happen. This isn't like, oh, I hope it works out this way. No, 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 no. No, I will see my Savior face to face, and all my sin will be gone, and all my hurt removed, and all my sorrow, and all my struggle with temptation. It's all gone, and the light of the glory of my Savior. And he's going to love you that day. He's going to love you perfectly that day. It's coming soon. It's coming soon. Just think about that. When you see this way, it makes you want to live for what matters. And it makes you want to not give up because that day is going to be pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. And that's why point number four is we look to the reward as this. There's no turning back, loved ones. There's no turning back. I mean, just briefly here, look at verse 39. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. See what he's doing right there? So in verse 38, the righteous live by faith, but those without faith, they do shrink back, and God says, I never knew you. You didn't believe in me, you rejected the gospel, but he quickly differentiates between the believers and unbelievers, and he says, but we are not those who shrink back. We are not those who are destroyed, but we are those who have faith, who have faith, faith in the midst of hard struggle. We have faith in the midst of sufferings. We have faith in the midst of persecution. We have faith in the midst of our discouragement. We have faith in the midst of the difficult times of this life because our faith is not in self. Our faith is in Christ. Our faith is in reward. And therefore, we do not shrink back, but we preserve our souls. You see that, loved ones? Faith is so powerful because faith in Jesus Christ means we're washed and cleansed and redeemed and sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and therefore our souls are forever preserved in him. That's the power of the seed of faith, even a seed of faith the size of a mustard seed when it's planted in the soil of Jesus Christ. 
It will never die, never be diminished, never grow old, and never cease to bear fruit all the way into heaven and eternity and beyond. That is the reality of faith that is found in Jesus Christ, and that is why we trust in him, because faith preserves our very souls, all because of the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, found through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that's also why, loved ones, then, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back. Loved ones, today, today, look at him again. Stare at him. Love him. Talk to him. Tell him how great he is. Let your mind be renewed in your hope. See your reward. Imagine glory. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Listen, and when you see that, there's no time to turn back. There's no way you can turn back. You've decided to follow Christ. He has called you and set you free. There's only one person to live for, only one reward that we desire to seek, and that's what spurs us on, because what God has started, he will finish. Faith preserves our souls. No turning back. No turning back. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. No turning back, oh God, no turning back. When we see the gospel, we can't can't turn back. We see the blood of Christ. We can't turn back. We see our reward, oh God. We can't turn back. There's no way. There's no way. You are everything. And the moment, Lord, you return, oh God, help us to see now. Help us to feel now. God, help us to believe now. This is true. Your word is true. After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Why? Because they knew. They knew they had a better possession And loved ones, I pray right now, we know that we too, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, and if you are here and you have not run to Jesus Christ with faith, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Confess him as Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. And then you too, you too have access to a reward that is simply incredible. And you are part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is not fair to God. How how can it be that we, so sinful, so wretched, so proud, have been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb? How is that possible? And yet it's true. It's true by grace through faith. And we've been given the greatest reward ever, ever known, even imagined in our minds and hearts. And that's why we say, I can't turn back, Lord. I can't turn back. You're tempted today to give up. You walked in here today to give up. God has made it very clear to you. You're not giving up, child. You will press on in his strength. Not your strength. His strength for his glory. You're not giving up. You're enduring. You're enduring because you must, because he calls you to, and because he loves you. He loves you, and he proved it again today. He proved it again today. In Jesus' name, amen.